I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is the perfumer Jo Malone, who launched her first company, Jo Malone London, in a retail shop in 1994 in London. The company was sold to Estee Lauder in 1999. Jo launched her second company, Jo Loves, in 2011, and runs the company with her husband Gary Wilcox. She is the author of Jo Malone: My Story. Welcome. Thank you. So I want to start with white doves and rabbits. <laughs> What comes to mind? <laughs> a little bit of a magic. My father was an amazing man, very creative, and I think that's probably where I get a lot of my creativity. And my and I'm very comfortable around the uncomfortable side of creativity. If you know, you know the the obscure and the left and right. But he was uh, he was brilliant in three things. He was an architect. He was a magician, but he was also a gambler, which wasn't so nice. So those three things were were very eclectic. But he was part of the magic circle, and I would go with him every weekend when he would do private magic shows. And、um, my pets were not hamsters or guinea pigs or goldfish; they were white magic rabbits, Neverland dwarf rabbits. So they appeared、mm. from hats. And my best friend was a little white dove called、mm. Suki, who would sit on my shoulder, and I adored her. And you grew up in Southeast England、uh, in a council house estate, which basically is the equivalent of public housing. Yes. How would you describe it? Yes, it's, it's just like subsidised housing. So、mm-hmm. the、uh, government subsidised it, and we were in a little two up, two down, two bedrooms and two downstairs, and we paid rent to the council. And my father at the time worked for a double glazing company. What is a double glazing company? Where you slide things across the window. So two glob pieces of glass, and he worked for as the architect. And your mother was a facialist. Yes. Did you have a sense when you were growing up in this community that you had abundance, or what was your view of yourself and your family?、Uh, I wouldn't describe my childhood as an abundance of things and luxuries, or food actually, but an abundance of life, creativity that I had bundles of. As brilliant as my mum and dad were. I was the adult from the age of ten, so I would always be the one that went to the fridge to see where the next meal was, and I'm still like that today. I still have to always look in my fridge to see three meals. But in saying that, I would, I saw two parents that worked very hard and tried very hard.、Um, they had a, they had a difficult relationship, and、mm-hmm. as two children, you're caught sometimes in the middle of that.、Mm-hmm. But I nevertheless loved them、mm-hmm. and、uh, respected what they did. But my childhood was very much. I learned to make face creams very early.、Mm-hmm. I learned to work market stores with my father because I had to. I had to put finance. I knew, you know, that made money. Your mom was a facialist, and from a very early age,、uh, you were with her, mixing scents and experimenting with fragrances.、Uh, she worked for this woman, Madame Lubati. <laughs> oh, she was so amazing. She was sort of six foot, blonde hair. She used to do yoga morning, noon, and night. Very, very sort of long-limbed, blood-red lipstick, fishnet tights, and a long white lab coat, and she spoke with a very deep voice like that. And I literally loved her. And I watched this woman make these face creams and these masks, and I'd watch her. And because I'm dyslexic, I mimic a lot of what I do. One day, she handed me a pestle and mortar, and she handed me two、um, bottles and said, "Can you make this face mask?" I, I can close my eyes, and I'm right back there. And I made my first face cream. And、mm-hmm. I fell in love. I knew that was what I wanted to do. You left school at age fifteen. I I did leave school at fifteen, and I left to look after my mum, who was sick at the time. She'd、mm. had a terrible breakdown, so that was 
you know, one of those moments. And I left and my first job was just at the age of 16. I went to work in a flower shop. And a deli? You had a job in a deli? It was the, it, So the flower shop and the deli were owned by this brilliant man called Justin DeBlanc. And he was one of the great entrepreneurs of the moment. And there I was in the flower shop uh, being I was 16 years old. It was a very hot summer's day. I'd been to the market. It was all hot and sort of crotchy. And um, I threw a bucket of water over the woman who, who was the manageress because she told me that everything was a mess. And I stomped up. So I was fired, obviously. And I stomped up the road to the deli. And that mm. was number 42 Elizabeth Street, where my life was to take me back one day. Why was that to take you back one day? Well, what is the significance of, of this uh, location on Elizabeth Street? I think often life will bring you back full circle where you first started. I don't know why, but it does. And for my 49th birthday, my husband gave me a little box. Um, we had started Joe Loves, our new brand and our new company, but we couldn't find a home. And he, I opened it and it was a key. I thought it was diamonds, as, as you would a little box with a ribbon round. And it was a key. And he said, go be a shopkeeper again, Joe." And we went down on my birthday, which is the 5th of November, opened the door and I said, I worked here. I stood here and I worked and I fell in love with retail and being a shopkeeper with Justin DeBlanc. Mm. And so there I was, I'd returned full circle. Beautiful. And so it was a really, it was a really, my life's done that a lot to me though. Mm. It's brought me full circle. You left school at 15 to help care for your mother. Did you work together after that point? Was yes, we did. Yeah. As, it, in, in, as, as facialists or yes. can you describe what yeah. that dynamic was like? I was the you know the one being trained and taught, and she was it was her business, and um, and then she got very 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 sick, mm. and went into a coma, and I was then left at the age of nineteen years old mm. with a business that um, wasn't going too well, and a younger sister to raise and bring up, mm. and I knew the only way I could do it. I knew how to make money by making face creams, and by that point, I knew how to do facial treatments and so that was a very tough two years of our, of my life anyway and then you you started your own skincare business can you describe that yeah sure I would I would put my I had 12 clients to start with and I would go from house to house carrying a little massage bed and my sheets and everything and eventually we rented this tiny Gary and I were just married we were newly married kids and we rented this tiny little apartment in Chelsea no furniture no curtains and this is where I set up my first skincare clinic and during the facial I would massage their arms so I would create body lotions that smelt amazing and from the body lotion, I figured, okay, if I can make a body lotion and I can make a facial oil, I can make a bath oil. And I would make a couple of hundred bath oils every week, all little handwritten labels, all poured by hand, made in my kitchen. And uh, they became so successful that one woman wanted to buy 100 bottles. And that was the birth of the company. It's, it's amazing in life sometimes when you do something and it becomes... We call it viral today, but, it, you know, where it just takes off. Mm -hmm. Everyone assumes that it's this huge business. And often with an indie brand, you're in your kitchen with your plastic jugs. Mm -hmm. And we, Gary and I, were literally making thousands of bottles a week. He would do his day job, come home. We'd work till three in the morning filling bottles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it mm -hmm. took off. In what way was not having formal training helpful to you? I didn't have formal training. I had formal training for skincare with my mom and... 
um, learning and going off and doing um, courses. So I had that formal training. But as to fragrance, no, I had no formal training at all. But because of being dyslexic, I have this amazing memory. So I can memorise moments and I can recall them very quickly and I can recall the essence and the smell. What I didn't know how to do was to take that essence and that smell and recreate it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had to learn and uh, rely. So I found great perfumers and I would sit with them and just talk through stories and try and understand how Mm -hmm. something was constructed. Mm -hmm. And at that time, you know, it was very strange to take three ingredients like lime, basil and mandarin and lock them all together. It wasn't done and Mm -hmm. certainly not a best-selling fragrance. So in 1999, you launched Jo Malone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had your first shop on Walton Street in London, and and it was it was a success almost. It was uh, <laughs> right away. How does that happen? I had ten years. I had a really loyal clientele. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, people that loved the brand. But when we opened Little Walton Street all those years ago, on the first day, a man walked in and offered me a million dollars for my company. And I declined. But for me, you know, a million dollars when I was back in an apartment sleeping on a piece of foam on the floor with no curtains, it was kind of quite appealing. And it wasn't just in the UK. Mm-hmm. It was America. America was really hungry for mm-hmm. the product. And there's a simplicity uh, about the fragrances, even now, where they're just sort of like one or two notes rather than this. How well, would you describe What you can smell is what you're reading on the label. Mm -hmm. But in order to often perfect a fragrance and create that one note effect, the complexity underneath it is hundreds Mm -hmm. of different pieces of accords Mm -hmm. within them. Mm -hmm. So they're not that what you smell like you pomelo, you smell pomelo, lime basil and mandarin, you smell lime basil and mandarin. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very much my identity and my signature in a fragrance. Mm -hmm. But in order to achieve that, Mm -hmm. it's a very it's like an orchestra. And on a violin playing a solo, it has to be note perfect and mm-hmm. fragrance is the same. You said that New York or that the United States was very hungry for your fragrance. How does one go from having a little shop to then being in existence in, in the United States? We went, well, the, we had one, our one little shop and then an amazing woman called Dawn Mello walked into our shop one day and she headed um, Bergdorf Goodman at the time she was president and she looked and she said I would love to bring you to New York and this was you know this was way before our sale of Florida so Gary and I jumped on a plane out we came to New York and we negotiated took a long time we negotiated a deal and we built a tiny little shop in Bergdorf Goodman we launched um, just before the holiday season and I had no money left for marketing or anything. And we were staying in a little hotel that we'd done a deal with. And all we had was empty bags and black ribbon. I said, how much money do we have to PR in? He said, nothing. I said, well, how am I, what am I supposed to do? And he said, tell your story. And he looked at the bags and he said, and we got bags. And so he started to pack them up with a black ribbon around it. And I said, what are you doing? I said, there's nothing in them. And he said, no one else knows that. Mm. So we sent 100 bags out into the streets with empty, nothing in them. And of course, by the time we launched in Bergdorf Goodman, and we'd got 100 friends to help me, everyone had seen the brand. Because strangers were carrying these bags? Yeah. The, the, when you when you see something that's different and you suddenly clock it, then you mm. see it again. It's normally the third or the fourth time that somebody thinks, I've read about that. I've seen that. Where mm. is it? And they'll mm. seek to find it. Mm. And that's what, that's what we did. By the way, uh, this is non sequitur, but shame on me. Uh, I thought Joe Malone was a man. 
And it wasn't until my nanny, who worked for Joe Malone in 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 Ireland uh, part time, when that she told me, no, in fact, uh, it's 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 a woman. Do you get that a lot? Have you heard that before? Um, I, I sometimes I do, but there's um there's a really funny moment way 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 back, and this whole coachload of Japanese tourists arrived at our shop, and in Joe Malone, <clears throat> and they walked into the shop, and Gary was standing there. Your husband. My mm-hmm. husband. He was standing there and they all bought a whole lot of products. And then at the end they said, you're such a clever boy, Joe Malone. Can we have a picture? And he stood outside the shop with every single one of these Japanese tourists and had his picture done. And so on that day, Joe Malone was a man. Why didn't he, why, why didn't he let them know? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't, you'll have to ask him that question. It was, we all roared with laughter. It was so, and they, they didn't want me in the picture. So that was absolutely fine. Oh. But the, um, the rest of the time, I'm afraid Joe Malone's a woman. You sold the company to Estee Lauder in 1999. Did they approach you? How did that happen? They walked into my store. So um, Pamela Baxter, who my very dear friend still today, she came in. I wouldn't have known how to contact anyone, I've got to be honest. So mm. I was just there in the shop and they came in, bought product, put their card on the table and said, we'd like to talk. So I flew out here in the, you know when you had that big blizzard here in New York? It was that weekend. We were the last plane down in JFK and we went and had a meeting in the GM building. By that point, we were running out of money to further the brand. Although it was making money, it would, you know, in order to expand and distribute, you need more funding. But it wasn't until I met the amazing Mr. Leonard Lauder that um, we started to have conversations. I was looking for three things. I was looking for money, deep pockets. I was looking for distribution, somebody that understood different territories. And I was looking for someone that loved the industry. And I found all three with him. Yeah. And he's very hands on with his acquisitions. Uh, did he, he come to the he store in London? Or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He came. He actually, when we sold and we announced it to our team, he came and had breakfast with all my team. And we were cooking bacon sandwiches, which is a very traditional British thing to do. And we set all the fire alarms, so all the fire engines arrived in Sloane Street. And he was about to come and speak. It was, he. he's just um, amazing man and I love him dearly. What's another example of, of his goodness? So they saved my life. I mean, when I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, uh, Evelyn Order was the first person I called and mm. I was really scared. So without that amazing couple, I don't probably think I would be here today. Another amazing couple is you and your husband, it seems. <laughs> Gary, you met at Bible school? Mm, I did. What What is he like? <laughs> What is he like? Well, I've been married good 30 plus years. Coming up for my anniversary, he's my best friend. He's my soulmate. He's ev- we're everything each other are not. Mm. And we've been in business most of our married life together. So mm. I'm very creative. He's very strategic. Mm. But he's funny. He's amusing. He's kind. He's truthful. Mm. He's down to earth. I love my family. And we have this saying in our family that we felt like we've lived like royalty all our lives. Mm-hmm. That if we have £10 in our pocket for a, a glass of wine and a one plate of pasta to share, mm-hmm. yeah. that's rich. So it's the, I just I can't imagine my life without him. He was a surveyor prior to joining yes. you, right? Yeah, he built buildings and hospitals and mm. he was in charge of... He does... He, he often says that when we started to work together, instead of bricks and cement, it was fragrance and bottles. Mm. He was the money man. Mm. So he was the legal, he was the money man, he was the team leader. Mm. I'm good with my team, mm. but I'm not somebody that can run and manage a business. Mm. I'm the creative director mm. of something. Mm. 
he's really good at that. What were you doing at Bible school? I'd left school at 16. I had walked into a church and heard the story of a woman called Jackie Pollinger, and she'd written a book called Chasing the Dragon. She'd gone to Hong Kong to as a missionary, and I was captivated by her story. And at that point, I... I felt I had nothing to give in life and I wanted to find something I could do. And in fact, I met my husband, Mm -hmm. who was training to be a vicar, a member of the church. You mentioned the Lauders uh, as being an incredible influence in your your Mm -hmm. life. You called them when you had breast cancer. How did that affect you uh, professionally? What did that do to your professional life? Well, um, It was Evelyn I called, first of all, and Evelyn was, I remember her words vividly that night I was diagnosed, and she said, remember, honey, you make lemonade from lemons. How did it affect me? Well, to be honest, my business didn't matter to me at that point. When you are told you have less than a year to live, you have the most aggressive form of breast cancer, your world changes. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my son, and that was all I cared about was my husband and my son. Would I ever see him grow up? Would I ever see him go to school? Would I ever see him get married? Were those things gone forever? And I didn't care about anything that was in a bottle. It just Mm -hmm. was irrelevant. I did try to work during that time, but the chemo was so extensive that it took my taste and it took my nose and I was just I had nothing and every time I did smell anything I was violently ill it just wasn't for me so I just spent that year just focusing on getting well Um, it was meant to be the first 16 weeks and then I got to the end of my chemo and I had to do it all over again piece by piece day by day Mm -hmm. I put my life back together and meanwhile, um, you were still creative director uh, at, at, well, of Joe Malone uh, mm, during this, even though you had put that on hold. I wasn't very creative during that time, that, mm-hmm. that's for sure. The intention was when it was all over, I would go back. And that's exactly what I did a year later. I opened the shop on Madison Avenue and I was standing there and my hair had just come back. I was wearing this, this same jacket. It's my lucky jacket. Oh. I was wearing that jacket. And I was standing there and I just didn't feel part of it any longer. It was suddenly a job and I'd never had a job. Mm-hmm. I still haven't ever had a job. Mm-hmm. I love what I do. And I was standing there and I just felt, you know what, Joe? it's time for you to move on. It's, you don't belong here anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the night I made the decision to go. You spent five years in the desert, so to speak, um, before starting Joe Loves um, because you did not work in the fragrance business, um, partly because of the decision you made. How was that for you? Um, well, if you sell a company and you leave, you have you have to be locked out of that. You know, you're paid a lot of money. You can't expect to enter. And actually, when I did leave, I, I felt I ticked that box. I didn't want to go back to mm-hmm. doing it again. But that last day I was in Sloane Street and I was putting those bottles on the shelves, I knew I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. Mm. And the, de- the deal was done. Mm-hmm. The contracts were signed. It was, mm-hmm. And I walked away and I, was so, I remember it vividly, tears pouring down my face thinking, what have I done? What mm. have I done? I wanted to say, I've changed my mind, but it was, it, that was it. Mm-hmm. And so those five years were just horrendous for me because, and it was, even, it was worse than fighting cancer because I lost my identity, didn't know who I was. Mm. I couldn't create, so I had nothing to channel this creative mm-hmm. energy. And it, it did feel like a really lonely desert, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go back to what I really loved. The chemotherapy had compromised your sense of smell. Did you have existential thoughts like, oh, of all things that had to go? <laughs> uh, like, what luck, right? 
my sense of smell did start to come back. So it hasn't come back in the same way, by the way, either. Mm. It's a very, my, my sense of smell is so honed now. I can smell anything, like really, like I'm looking down a magnifying glass with my nose. Mm. I can smell. I couldn't do that before. Mm. So it took it away, but then it started to come back. But what came back first was the desire to be in to be a shopkeeper again. That's what came back first, not my sense of smell. And, you know, realistically, what you want it is the other way around. You want your sense of smell to come back and then to want to be a shopkeeper. Mm. But for me, it was um, the other way around. When did you know you could start making fragrances again? It's like anything. If you were a musician and you didn't touch your piano for five years, you can't just expect to sit and play Chopin. Mm -hmm. You have to get back into it. And that's what I had to do is to learn to find find that ability to do it again. What was the story of you smelling a leak in your home? Oh, uh, gosh, yes. I was sitting in the sitting room and I could smell wet paint and wet plaster and wall. And I kept saying, and we live in a completely white house, so if there was a leak, we would see it very quickly. And um, my husband said, no, 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 it's nothing. I said, I can smell it and I can smell it right there. Six weeks later, we're sitting there and suddenly we're watching TV and a movie and this torrential gush of water shot through the wall all the way down and we and there had been a leak for and I could smell it behind the walls well I'm known as the bloodhound and my my son will say oh dad don't don't ever say the bloodhound can't smell it she can can." (sighs) I'm Jessica Harris you're listening to From Scratch my guest is the perfumer Joe Malone who launched her first company Joe Malone London in a retail shop in 1994 in London after this five year hiatus from the industry you decide to start Joe Loves to be a shopkeeper at number 42 how did you decide to make this experience different from the former well, it's like anything in life. You know, brands and people, they evolve. And I didn't want to go back and repeat. All I wanted to do was create. I just wanted to create mm-hmm. again and, and do what I loved. And I do love being a shopkeeper. So we started back around a kitchen table. Had no idea how hard it was. It was the toughest two, first two years I have ever. And if I'd known, I would never have done it. And that mm. is the absolute truth. I wanted to create something that really captivated creativity and my passion for storytelling. So when I walked into that little shop at 42 Elizabeth Street on my birthday, mm-hmm. it was this tiny little shop and it was really narrow. And I said, oh, but these walls go back much further and, and the architect said, no, they don't. And I said, yes, they do. I know they do because mm-hmm. I worked here. So I took a screwdriver and I drilled a hole and you could see at least three, four foot. So I said, I'm going to pull this back and we're going to create a brasserie my poor husband's face at that point was like oh she's going to go into food because he, he they can never predict where I'm going to go mm-hmm. and I said no 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 we're going to create a brasserie for your nose and honestly every person in that space looked at me as though I was completely nuts why was the f- those first two years more challenging than you thought was it the personal hurdles of not being able of having writer's block in a way or that was part of it. Uh-huh. Um, certainly not being able to. So I, by that point, I was creating fragrance, but they weren't brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you could smell the things that I did then, which I still have some of them, you would go. You wouldn't say that was Joe. But I knew my sense of smell and that creativity would eventually find its way back to me, and it did. So, what else was harder than you thought in those first, you know, two years? I got the packaging wrong, and I'm very impulsive, mm-hmm. and I'm very and I'm very controlling with mm-hmm. my business and also myself Mm -hmm. so 
I wanted I did it all red. I did everything red and I looked at it and I remember I'd pushed the button on 10,000 boxes and I looked at them and I thought, it's not me. I know it's not me. And there's nothing I could... And sometimes when you're a small brand and you do that, you have to get on with it. We got the wrong location. We did a a pop-up that was in the wrong location. All of those things. And I kept kept feeling utterly humiliated Mm. and I'd done it myself. And then I started to find my pace again. Once we found our first home, the little shop... Mm. I then went back and rebranded and I was sitting at my desk and I was just about to go to Shanghai in China with the great campaign and someone had sent me a bottle of red nail varnish called Shanghai Red and I looked at it, undid it and I had a whole line of labels in front of me on my desk, Took, picked up a pencil, dropped it in the nail varnish and I did one drop across the whole thing and I looked and it was, that's it. I'm dyslexic so when I approve a product I don't sign a form. I put do a little red sticky dot and I stick it. And it was, there's your red dot. It was right out in front of you all the time. And you had been um, doing that prior to that moment? Red dots, yeah, for the last five years. Oh, yeah. my. You say uh, nail varnish, so nail polish. Yes, I yes, sorry, see. nail polish. And what about the story of, was it the pomelo? When you were on vacation uh, with your son and, and husband, yeah. and again, you it wasn't right, but you had launched this campaign and now you were going to pull everything back in. Can you tell us about that? (laughs) We'd come with Joe Loves and I'd created four fragrances and the hero was Pomelo. I knew it was, but there was something in it that just wasn't, wasn't right. It was one of the very first fragrances I'd created and I was walking along the beach in Turks and Caicos and I had lost, I just couldn't find my creative force again. And suddenly this baby stingray was just swimming by the side of me. And she was fluttering. She wasn't... And I stopped and it just fluttered. It was a baby little one. It was beautiful in the water. And I walked all the way down the beach and it followed me. And at that time, I was suffering terribly from anxiety because I couldn't... I didn't know where I was going. And it just captivated me. And I realised at that moment, I got to the end of the beach and it was, Joe, creativity is not... You don't own it. It's not yours to keep, but it will mimic you. And as as she is mimicking you in the water, just look up, just look up and create. And I and it was I got tingles even think about it now. And it was that wonderful life moment where you look up, and I captured everything I saw, and I created one single note and locked them together with pomelo. But a few months later, when we were about to launch it, there was one note that was missing in it, and I couldn't figure out what it was, and I couldn't figure out. And I had to pull the launch because I really wanted Pomelo to be there forever. Hmm. And if you if you send a product to market, ninety two percent correct or whatever, you undermine everything you're about as a creator. So we pulled it, found that one note, locked it back in, and off and off we went. And it is number one in the line. And what, what, by the way, is it like, um, you know, coexisting in a department store, um, you know, with Joe Loves next to Joe Malone? What is that like for you? The nearest we got was Selfridges. And there's a moment in the middle of the night we were building this shop in Selfridges and I went to the bathroom and came back down the escalator. And as I came down, it was four in the morning. I could see Joe Loves being built in front of me, the big red box, which I knew I'd made the mistake at. And I was face to face with my old brand. And it was as though she just turned around and said to me, what have you done? Look, I'm here. I'm here. You know, I'm not the creator. I'm not the consumer. I don't, I'm not part of that brand, but I still love it. I still care. I care every day what happens because that brand was my best friend 
for nearly 15 to 20 years of my life Mm -hmm. and I care what happens to it. So what is it like? It's like looking at two parts of my life. Mm -hmm. Both I love, both I love in different ways. The first one was my my creativity, learning who I was as an artist with Lime Basil and Nutmeg and Ginger. And the second one is who I am right now with the boldness of smoked plum and leather and red truffle. But I love both. There seemed to be a generosity of spirit towards you when you came back into the industry with Joe Loves. Uh, is that mm. accurate to say? Yeah, that really, that's, no one's asked me that. And that is such a wonderful jewel. Yes, there were mm. a real generosity of spirit. It was amazing that the world, I remember one journalist say, we've, the beauty industry has missed you. Mm. And wow. And on Monday when I was here in the city, I was here to speak at the WWD Summit. And there was a room of 450 of all my peers, the good and the great. I was petrified, I have to say. And I got up and I showed them something I'm going to launch in September. And I heard the room go. <gasps> and it was it was that moment for me. It was one of the best moments of my life to think I, ha- I still have a voice. I still have. I don't think I have all the answers. I have one tiny answer, mm-hmm. but it, I'm still relevant. Going back to those uh, early days of Joe Loves, in addition to, you know, the red packaging and these mistakes here and there, um, Gary, your husband, got sick. He had adrenal mm. failure, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's just interesting. You said you could smell he was sick. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, I could. I could. It was. It's really... Um, that, was the, that was one of the worst times of my life because my soulmate was suddenly... He goes into adrenal failure very quickly mm. and very dangerously, mm. which means his organs start to shut down. Mm. And if he's having an attack now, I say, let me smell your neck. And if I can smell it, it's like go and get a blood test. And sh- and every time I've said it, there is there is something. He, he's never gone into a full-blown attack again. It's striking to me how public you've been with your setbacks, with your personal setbacks, whether mm. it's been even trouble in your pregnancy or panic attacks or your your breast cancer or Gary's illness or your mother's illness. Like, I feel like we're living in a time where people are more willing to, mm. you know, just say it how it really is. Um, have you always been that way? No, I don't think I've always. I don't think I've always. I'm not... I share my good parts of my life. I, you see my successes as well as my failures. But isn't that everybody's life? And I think we go through things sometimes. And if, especially coming through breast cancer, you do have a, a responsibility to help others come through. Mm-hmm. And I'm not frightened of people seeing the cracks. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not frightened of them myself. Mm-hmm. I think... If all I did was talk about the cracks, it would be quite boring. But you can see the fact that I can take, you know, a brand from nothing and sell it to the biggest corporate. I travel the world. I can take one little shop and I can take my tapas bar and and change Shanghai and China. So you see all those bits. Mm-hmm. But my life is doesn't live on that mountainside the whole time. I have had to climb very hard to get there. Mm-hmm. And I think it encourages other people, especially if you're building, you're going through a hard time, and you hold on and say, if she did it, so can I. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. My guest has been Joe Malone. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. <laughs>